Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up, and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hello and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. It's producer Harry here again. So we have Robin Sharma on the podcast today. For those of you who don't know who Robin Sharma is, he is a multi-award-winning, best-selling author. Uh, his two most famous books are the monk who sold his Ferrari, and the 5am club. Now, the 5am club is a book that's really resonant with Rob, and he's done a lot of content on this podcast regarding the, you know, the 5am club. Robin is definitely a big thinker and a spiritualist, so to speak. So what I found most fascinating and thought-provoking was Robin's take on what he defines as the mark of legends. That is probably, yeah, the best part of the interview, so keep your ear out for that. That was really good. And also, Robin's got some really fascinating views on billionaires. There's a lot going on in this interview, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So finally, just before we get into the interview, for those of you who don't know, we also have a YouTube channel called Official Rob Moore. This is where we publish all of Rob's video content. So if you want to see the videos to all our interviews and other content that we've got, head over to YouTube, subscribe to the Official Rob Moore YouTube channel. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and it is a huge privilege. Um, I cannot believe that someone can sell 15 million books. That is, that blows my mind. I didn't even know there are 15 million people in the world. Uh, it's a massive privilege to have Robin Sharma on uh, my Facebook page, on the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. Robin, thank you so much for taking your time today. Thanks for your time, Robin. Uh, right at the beginning, I'm fighting a bit of a cold, but I didn't want to cancel on you. So I just wanted you to know that. <clears throat> well, I, th I think, I think it set, makes you sound more deep and manly. So it's all good. <laughs> any, any, depth I, any depth I can get, I'll take. <laughs> right. So, Robin, um, you obviously you have the 5 a.m. club book. By the way, thank you for sending me this gift and the personal note. Uh, we did share that on our social media. Um, you also wrote The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Is that correct? Correct. So why can't you be a monk or a spiritual and own a Ferrari? That, that's actually exactly what the book is about. And uh, even The 5 Am Club is very much about that. I believe, you know, as, as I know you focus on entrepreneurs, and I think um, we live in a, in a world where there's a lot of uh, pleasures that we can enjoy. So there's nothing wrong with having a beautiful house or staying in lovely uh, hotel rooms in great cities. Mm. I, I think life is meant to be enjoyed in many ways. But I think what's happening in the world, Rob, is a lot of us are making things our gods versus our servants. So I do believe, I actually not only believe, I think it's essential that we enjoy the world but not be of the world and i think we you know a lot of people i think they're making a lot of money but they're losing their soul in the process and i think that's a very empty victory 
So I have this theory, Robin, I'd love to test it on you because um, I deem you to be um, very spiritual. I know that's a very generic word, but I do. Um, but I believe that the material and the spiritual are actually inseparable. Um, for example, a beautiful Patek Philippe watch or like you said, a beautiful house where you raise a family. That's a, they are material items that, you know, use currency to exchange. But at the same time, they create beauty, art, spirituality, heirlooms for your children. So I, I think people are separating these two entities like they're, you know, mutually exclusive and one is good and one is bad. But I feel like I want to share a message to the world that actually, why can't they be whole? What do you think? I think they are whole. Uh, there's, there's a whole. So, so the 5 a.m. club is about essentially four characters. And one of the characters is Mr. Riley, the eccentric billionaire. And he talks about how to make money and the importance of creating value as a business person. But he also talks about living in the magic. And so I think it's important that we um, to, to remember that life has many forms of beauty, doesn't it? What's the difference between a beautiful meal in a fine restaurant or a walk in nature? They're both they are both forms of beauty. So I think we're singing from the same songbook. OK, thank you. So I believe from my research, you trained in law and you were a lawyer. Correct. So, so how did you go from a lawyer to the leader and the seller of tens of millions of books that you are now? Well, I think um, I think the heart is much wiser than the head. And I think a lot of us in our whole society, what it does is it conditions us to live in our intellect. But if you look at the great acts of humanity, the great I was in Rome recently and I went to the Sistine Chapel and I looked up at the ceiling. Then I went over to Florence in late December and saw Michelangelo's David. And, you know, if you look at the great acts in, uh, of humanity, the works of the great artists, those were not done from the intellect. They were done from the heart. And so what I'm trying to suggest is I became a lawyer for all the wrong reasons. I became a lawyer because the world says if you become a lawyer, you're going to be safe and you're going to make money and you're going to live a, a successful life. The only problem is I'd wake up every morning as a lawyer and I felt empty, very dissatisfied. And so what's the point of being successful if you've lost who you are? Mm. And so I started following my instinct more, which led me into self-publishing a book. The book became successful. It led me down this process of writing more books and doing what I now do. Mm. And did you have any fear, Robin, that you trained in this very traditional route to then walk away from that and, and, and take more risks. Ultimately, entrepreneurs take more risks. Did, was there fear there? Did, was that a, an instant decision or was that a process that took time? Well, uh, you know, the most honest thing I could say is it might look like a big risk to leave the law and to leave a very successful career, but uh, sometimes you get to a place in your life where you have no choice. And I think, um, I think life leads you if you're open to be led by life. And so I just felt this great instinct to write this book and follow this path. And I think when you trust your heart, doors open up that you hadn't even seen, thought were possible. Mm. And that takes a lot of belief in or faith in something maybe outside of you to trust that, to maybe be vulnerable. A lot of people who follow me, they have children. Um, they have mortgages, you know, they have overheads, they have expenses. And I guess they're probably conditioned themselves that they, they have a lot to lose if they don't follow their heart of their entrepreneurial venture. 
Yeah, you know what I would say is um, living a life of safety can often be a, a recipe for heartbreak, you know. And we have a lot more power and we have a lot more choices than we think we have. And so I hear this, well, you know, we have mortgages and we have children and we have all these responsibilities. And that's true. There's no question. And yet the, the whole history of entrepreneurship and progress has been about people taking risks, you know. Um, I love George Bernard Shaw's quote. He said, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in adapting the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. And so often, again, I want to say I hear you about the responsibilities we all have. I'm a father. I'm a family man. I, I have re many responsibilities. But often that can be an excuse born of fear. Mm. And if you, if you cling to your excuses, then you'll never get anything done with your life. And I think in many ways, the grand errand of our life is, is not to play small. It's to materialize the primal genius that we've all been born into and, and make the world a better place. All right. So I'm fortunate enough, and I'm sure you do too, um, Robin. I'm, I know uh, quite a few billionaires and I'm friends with some. And... I, I've got this tiny little personal bugbear that I'd like to just express with you because every billionaire I've ever spoken to and studied has said, don't focus on the money. Do what you love. Don't focus on the money. But I think that's all right to say when you're already a billionaire. And I wonder if when they started, they focused on the money. So there's this, do I focus on the passion and follow the heart? Or do I focus on, you know, a business model that has real enterprise and commercial like realities of, you know, turnover and net profit. Where do you sit with that? You know, Rob, um, in, in my 23 years of, of uh, experience working with many billionaires and many of the many CEOs of the Fortune 100, what I found is there's there's different philosophies. There are some billionaires; all they are about is the money. And, uh, and all they wanted to do when they were startup entrepreneurs was make a ton of money. And then there are, there are other, I, I just finished my final Titan Summit, which is an event we've done for seven years. I'm not doing it anymore because I'm creatively being led into different green pastures. But we had uh, two billionaires. We had the visionary behind Canada Goose, one of the world's great luxury brands, Danny Reese. And we had uh, Chip Wilson, the founder of Lululemon, on my stage. And, you know, Danny Reese, for example, I, I don't think he ever thought he'd be a billionaire. You know, he, he was very much focused on the story behind the product and the, the, the value behind the product. And same for Chip Wilson. You know, he, he was very much about creating the Lululemon apparel, and it just took off. And then I've worked with other billionaires who... Everything is about they wanted to make a lot of money and they wanted the jets and they wanted the home. And I, I'm not going to stand here in judgment. I think there's a lot of judgment in our world right now, you know, that one way is wrong and another way is wrong. Uh, I think it's important as entrepreneurs and creative people and human beings to find the approach that fits with your value system and then to, to run that race. OK, thank you, Robin. Um, so you self-published when you launched your first book. And I know a lot of people have the, do I publish, do I self-publish? Why did you self-publish? 
if people are writing their first book, would you sort of recommend that they self-publish? Well, you know, I I, uh, I published my first book over over two decades ago. The the, the publishing uh, environment has changed a lot. What I would say is, I self-publish because it's a really quick way to get your book to market. And um, with all the technology now, you can anyone of your many viewers can produce a book that looks as good as anything from the, the top publishers in the world. Having said that, I think there is some value. Uh, and some prestige and even some distribution value having your book published by Harper Collins, Harper Collins or a Penguin Random House. Mm. So, um, you know, depends on how quickly you want to get to market. Yeah, my experience was that um, many people took a lot of rejection, even the most famous of authors. I think the world, the world record is 21 rejections for a book that I, when I did my research. Um, and... You know, look, if you've got to wait three or four or five years to get your book out, that's a bit of a shame. Whereas I think people see it as publishing or self-publishing, but I often see it as because I was self-published and then I got published by Hachette. Well, actually, self-publishing is stage one. And then you may decide to self-publish your next book and then you may get courted or you might have more proof to then go to a publisher now that you've written a couple of books. So uh, this sort of like progressive journey as opposed to unpublished, I'm self-published. Sounds like that was the way you went. Yeah, I mean, my the monk who sold his Ferrari was actually my second book run, and um, that was self published in a twenty four hour copy shop. And I was in a bookstore uh, signing the books. There were I think five books on consignment, and I uh, there was a gentleman standing next to me. He said, "Oh, the monk who sold his Ferrari. What a great title!" I said, "Thank you." Uh, he said, "Tell me a bit about your story." I said, "I'm a lawyer, but this is my a labor of love and." I think this book is going to do big things and I have a message I want to share with a lot of people in the world right now. And he said, that's really interesting. My name is, uh, he pulled out his card and he said, my name is Ed Carson and I'm the president, I'm the CEO of HarperCollins. And so I think, I think, you know, I think you're right. I think get your magic out into the world and make sure it's magic, not mediocrity. I think, I think there's not judgment, but just reporting. I think there's too many people pushing average. And then they spend all their time marketing. And then they wonder why the product doesn't have any traction. I spent four years writing the 5 a.m. club because I wanted it to be, you know, I, I put my heart and my soul into that book. I rewrote it probably 50 times. I wanted it to be the single best piece of work. I've, I, I was capable of producing it. And um, once you put your magic out in the world, then what happens, as you know, is if, if it resonates with people, then they are going to go on to social media and tell everyone about it. So um, I would say, yeah, get, if, if someone wants to write a book or build a course, do it yourself and make sure it's a piece of beauty and then um, put it out in the world. Great. So um, your books, there's story elements to many of them. So they're not necessarily how-to books. They could be described as um, fiction or they could be some of them or they could be described as analogies. You've got characters. Why? Well, I, I think the human race was founded in many ways on storytelling. And when we're kids, we learn through stories. Our parents tell us stories before we go to sleep. If you look at history, 
We've advanced as a species in many ways through storytelling. And so I wanted to write, even the 5am club, I thought, I think it is a how-to book. I think the 5am club, which is currently one of the best-selling books on the planet, it is because it is a how-to book. The 5am club has neuroscience and it has mental frameworks on morning morning routine and and high performance and how to multiply your productivity and the importance of rest and renewal. And But it's it, you're right, it's built around a story because I wanted to profoundly move people into waking up to who they truly are in this world of dramatic distraction, but I wanted to entertain them in the process. And I thought if I could teach. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. In a very gentle way, this neuroscience and this methodology on elite performance and handcrafting a world-class life in the form of a story about this quirky billionaire named Mr. Riley and this entrepreneur who was struggling um, while her business grew very quickly and this artist who was plagued by self-sabotage and this, this speaker called the Spellbinder who shared his wisdom on building a, a beautiful life. If I, I thought if I could do it in the form of a story, it would speak to people very deeply in this world where there's so many leadership books and there's so many entrepreneurship books and so many books on productivity. Hi, it's Rob here interrupting you with something you may not know about me. I was one of the few people on the planet hand-selected by Facebook to pilot their new supporter program. It's a very small premium model where you can get exclusive content and advance notice or discount of new products and services. So this is what I've done for you. Not only can you get best discounts for any training that we might run, not only do you get notified first of any launches we do, we also do supporter meetups, supporter dinners, supporter WhatsApp groups where you have a, a deeper community. I do supporter only ask me anythings. I do supporter only content and podcasts. We have a community of 2,500 supporters and I'd love to give you the chance to be one of those. I believe this is the best supporter program in the whole world. Find me a better one, but I don't think you will. So the link is bit.ly forward slash Rob supporter with a capital R. 
That's bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. I believe the gap between free content and paid content is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's a lot of free content out there that's maybe not that good. And for just a few dollars a month, you can get the best content on business, on entrepreneurship, on starting up, on scaling up, on sales, on marketing, on the mindset of being an entrepreneur. So go to bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R right now. So um, I always like to just take a little moment to be mildly selfish, Robin, on my podcast and ask a question that's from me. (laughs) Why not take the chance? So I'm probably writing now my 15th book. Um, Wow. Amazing. Thank you. Congratulations. And I I, I guess I've kind of moved into very much how-to books. So one is called Start Now, Get Perfect Later. One's called Money. One's called I'm Worth More. And I have had the discussion in my head, should I be writing instructional books or should I be using more stories, analogies? Should I write a, a story based to it, a, 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 an element of fiction that layers the, like you, it's a how-to book, but it's within a story. So someone like me who's written quite a lot of books, quite a lot of um, how-to books, would you recommend I go into creating something more entertaining, a bit more fantasy, a bit more story? or just carry on writing how-to books in the way that I do? You know, Rob, this leads us down a fascinating rabbit hole, which is one of my great passions right now, which is creative integrity. And I think if you do something for the money, we have, I know we had the conversation about some of the billionaires who just ch- chase money, but I, I think to answer your question, I think it's really important to trust your creative your creative instinct. If you write your next book in the form of a story just so it becomes a best-selling book, then I don't think it's ever going to really become a legendary piece of art. I think, you know, you have to do, I believe as a creative person, we have to trust our instinct over our reason. And I believe there is a muse. And I believe there is this sort of this energy that leads you, your your creative energy. And if you do what brings you joy, there's a whole model in the 5M club called joy is a GPS. I think we need to do the, 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 the projects that fill us with joy are the projects we're meant to do. The places that bring us joy are the places we're meant to be. The pursuits that fill our hearts with enthusiasm and optimism are the, the ones that life wishes us to follow. And so whether it's in our work or whether it's with the people around us or where we live, it's, I, th- I think we need to trust our bliss versus doing things only for you know, rational purposes. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But. Yeah, it does. I feel like I'm doing the right thing, going down the right road, expressing myself in my right way. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's about, you know, leadership versus followership. I think we live in a world where there's a lot of sheeple versus people. And especially in the age of social media, there are too many people who have become what I call in the 5am club cyber zombies. And they're not thinking for themselves. I'm not suggesting this is you in any way. I'm saying, you know, if you look at the great masters, whether it's, it's a Michelangelo or whether it was a Steve Jobs, or whether it's um, Elon Musk, or whether it was a Shakespeare, or whether it was a Nelson Mandela, or whether it was a Vincent Van Gogh, 
who only sold two paintings in the course of his lifetime. You know, if you look at the great masters, they didn't do it for the money or for the accolades or for the applause or to fit in or to be famous. All of the great ones did it because it, it felt like the right thing to do, even if the whole world was against them. And I think that is the mark of legendary. It's whether it's in our creative pursuits or how we conduct our lives or how we run our businesses. It's not about doing what everyone else is doing. It's about trusting in your own value system and your own authenticity and your own vision for the rest of your life and for the for a better world. And even if you're an army of one, going out in the world and making that happen. Hi, it's Rob. Quick interruption here to make sure you like this video and you subscribe to the channel. We are upping our content game, bringing you the most disruptive interviewees and guests and content and not just the people who do the usual circuit. So make sure you like, subscribe and now let's get back to the interview. I believe your reach extends beyond 50 countries. Um, according to one article I read, your social media reach hit 600 million people a year which is obviously amazing. Um, how have you managed to ex extend such a vast reach? If you could summarize, you know, why you think you've made such impact. I focus more on content than, much more on content than selling. I believe that um, everything is a relationship. So if you give people great content, they'll share the content. I think the second reason for the social media reach is I play a long game, um, which is, you know, about, about service, about really trying to help people. I think the third, the third thing is, um, you know, someone once said, how do you build a movement? It's one person at a time. So I still answer as many DMs as possible every day. I still write handwritten thank you notes to readers as much as I can. Um, and I, I try to never rest on my laurels, you know, I mean, last year's winning performance is this year's starting line. Mm. And I think success can be incredibly dangerous. I think, you know, if, if I rested on last year's videos or my, my last book, I mean, I'm working on my new book right now and I want it to, to be, you know, 10 times better than the 5am club. And so it's always about optimizing the craft and it's also always about serving people and helping people build better businesses and build better lives. And, you know, I think if that's a genuine pursuit, then the world will reply and send you these kinds of rewards. And if you're only about the money and what's in it for you and, you know, it's interesting if you really care, if you care too much about growing your social reach, then your focus won't be on the content and the craft that is ultimately what grows your social reach. Mm. Okay, great. So I have this little theory about burnout. Um, and I think a lot of people maybe don't understand what burnout is. Uh, I think there are some entrepreneurs that are literally doing too much. And I think that there are other people that are maybe a little bit melodramatic about what burnout is. But I found in my life, when I'm forced by someone else or a part of myself to do something I don't enjoy, I can burn out pretty easy and quick. When I'm doing what I love, I can stay up all night doing it and I can not eat and not sleep and I don't burn out. 
And, you know, there's the studies of the people who were up all night at Harvard University. You could see the odd light on at three in the morning and they may be the masters and geniuses of the world. So what's your theory on burnout? Because it has become a little bit rife in the entrepreneur's world. There's a lot of people on social media, certainly in the, in the America space, talking about hustle and grind and doing, you know, 20 hour days for 20 years to be your overnight success, which I personally don't agree is sustainable or holistic. So what's your, your take on, on burnout and that little ramble I've just made? Well, there's, there's a whole chapter in the 5am club that has really helped entrepreneurs and has disrupted this whole idea about grinding. And you ask very kindly, you know, what's my theory? I prefer to just go to the science. What the science, um, and especially a lot of the great work of the Energy Project says, is the most productive people um, what makes them great is their ability to recover. What makes the best athletes the best athletes is their ability to regenerate and refuel. And the, the most productive entrepreneurs are not the ones who work uh, like marathoners. They are the ones who work like sprinters. Right. There's a, a concept I teach called the five great hour concept. And I, I teach the billionaires that I mentor and the, the people who come to me from around the world for coaching. What I teach them is how to structure their lives so they only work five hours a day. Because here's the key, and I, I you know, I, I believe you know this to be true, Rob. Most people can spend 12 hours grinding and hustling and get very little work done. Mm -hmm. We're not we're not paid to do fake work. We're not paid to play with our phones. We're not paid to chit chat. We're not paid to scratch our stomachs and surf the internet. The, the real titans of industry are paid to do real work. And after four or five hours of sweaty, heroic, genius grade work, you've got more done than in five hours than most most people get done in, in two or three weeks. Mm. And so I would say that the real art of being a high performance entrepreneur is learning how to work brilliantly and intensely with monomaniacal focus when you work and then learning how to recover so that you replenish what I call in the five am club, the five assets of genius, your mental focus, your physical energy, your personal willpower, your original talent, and your daily time. And so, you know, I, I think burnout happens when we buy into this myth of hustle and grind and, you know, believing that if you work 24-7, you're somehow going to be a better entrepreneur. I mean, we're, we're paid to produce quality. We're not paid to produce busy work. There's a quote I found of yours, which I really like. I've taken a couple of words out of the middle just for context. So please don't think I'm butchering your quotes, but it just makes no, more sure. sense to say it like this. Fear ruins bright lives. Fear ruins bright live, lives. Um, so that may have been you saying it or someone quoting you who studied you. But what do you mean by fear ruins bright lives? Well, I'm not, I'm not quite sure I said it like that, but l let's talk about fear. I think fear is a human emotion, just like guilt and, you know, guilt and sh let's talk about a lot of things that entrepreneurs don't talk about, but that they face. Mm. We all entrepreneurs feel, because I can tell you're, you're a thoughtful person. Around. All entrepreneurs feel face fear and we all face guilt. We all face anger. 
We all face shame. We all face self-doubt. And so you bring up fear, and I just think I've written a lot on fear in, in my books and in my I've spoken a lot about it in my work. And we, we all face fear, but I think the place where your fear lives is the place where your growth lies. And I think what the best entrepreneurs and the best leaders do and the people, the human beings who, who find great satisfaction in their lives is they, they visit the places that terrify them. And if you, I think the journey of an entrepreneur and a leader is not the journey of easy, it's the journey of growth. And so what I try to do in my life and what I try to encourage the people who follow me to do is when you face a, when you notice a, a place of fear, you actually go right into it and you feel the fear and you experience the fear and you acknowledge the fear, but you continue because you look at Michelangelo in the Sistine Ceiling Chapel ceiling. I mean, he didn't think he was going to get paid. He faced four years of hardship. He, he damaged his eyes with the work on the, fr the fresco. Uh, he felt fearful at many times, but he continued. And I know it sounds like a platitude, but it's also a reality. You know, great entrepreneurs are continuers. They face the they, they face the rock throwing of the jealous critics. They face self-doubt. They face being misunderstood. They face frustration. They face failure. And they continue because their heroic mission is larger than the chattering voices of their fears. And that's just a reality. Mm. Thank you. And on that note where you mentioned the critic, so I, I've um, really tried to study for the last at least 10 years the purpose of a critic, how it serves us, how it challenges us to manage our own level of emotional mastery. I speak to some people who block and disengage, don't want their time impacted. Other people who look to understand them and forgive them and care for them and other people who engage with them a bit. Where do you stand with the critics? And, you know, maybe you might get some online trolling or you might, you know, get some feedback that you don't like that's very public. How does, how do you deal with that, Robin? Uh, it's, it's a great question. And it's another thing I'm very passionate about because, um, you know, I, th I think, Rob, you can listen to your critics or you can change the world. You don't get to do both. So I'm very blessed. I don't have a lot of online trolling and uh, but what I would say a few things I would say the very nature so Bob Dylan said it beautifully he said don't criticize what you don't understand so the first thing I'd say is if you do your job as an entrepreneur and you put what Mr. Riley and the 5am club calls your magic out into the world then the very nature of putting disruptive art or poetry or a piece of code or a new product that disrupts the entire industry. That's a very threatening act to the status quo. And rather than embrace the message, it's much easier to shoot the messenger. And so what I'm saying is the very nature of doing your job as a world-class entrepreneur means you're going to bring out the trolls, which means you're just doing your job. Second thing I would second thing I would say is critics are spiritual professors. So if a critic causes you to question yourself or slow down or stop or give up, well, 
that's an opportunity for you to go into yourself and look at your lack of confidence and your lack of strength. They have helped you grow. Um, I think the third thing about it, someone once said to me, as the king's caravan goes by, the barking dogs come out to play. So what, what, I, what I think that means is, you know, one of the human emotions is also jealousy. When hum, a lot of human beings, if they're not awake and aware and if they haven't done work on themselves, when they see someone else soaring, it brings up their lack of living their personal genius. And rather than celebrating you doing amazing things, it makes them feel a little better. And we can go to the science. It creates a little, little bit of dopamine in their brains when they press that button and send you a piece of their anger versus looking in the mirror and saying, hmm, you know, Rob or this entrepreneur is doing amazing things. That is a model of possibility that sort of gives me permission to do the same thing. Thank you. Um, so we have one more main question, then we do quick fire. So sure. we're sort of moving towards the end of the interview, Robin. So according to Money Inc., you have a unique perspective on leadership. So what is your unique perspective on leadership? Well, I don't think it's just one perspective. I mean, one of the things I wrote a book on it called The Leader Who Had No Title. Uh, one of the perspectives I have is you can you can lead without a title. Uh, no matter what you do in an organization, whether you're in the mailroom or answering the phone or in finance or in HR or a salesperson, I think when you go into work every day, you have a choice. You can be a victim or you can show leadership. So I think that's one of the perspectives I've been teaching for a long time. Another perspective I have on leadership is, you know, we live in a world of dramatic distraction and I think you can be distracted or you can produce brilliant work. You can't do both. I think the third perspective I've been evangelizing for many years is the job of a leader is to build more leaders. Uh, I think the fourth unique perspective would be in a world of mediocrity, have the patience and the discipline and the acumen to produce your magic. Because I think all it takes is one Sistine ceiling chapel to change the world. Uh, I think too many people focus on putting out 50 books or 100 books or you know a thousand apps versus that one app that you know becomes the new um, the new Instagram, for example. Okay, great. So quick fire round and you can answer these as quickly or as, as detailed as you like, Robin. It's just that um, it just gets a bit of momentum going. So what's the best advice you ever received? You've got to be practical. What's one thing that's wrong with the world that you would like to or you are trying to change? Many things. Uh, I'll, I'd say quickly, uh, pe there's too much greed, uh, too much unkindness, too much selfishness too much entitlement, too much addiction to distraction. Okay. So many podcasts, they have this question, what advice would you give to your younger self? So I like to be disruptive. So I've flipped it on its head. What advice would you give your 75-year-old self? I don't know. That's a, I mean, the most honest thing I could say, Rob, that's a hard one because, I don't know, it just my brain doesn't work that way to give, to give my future self advice because... I don't know. You, you see what I mean? To give my, it's a great question to give my future self advice. I don't know. 
Like because the future self knows more than my current self, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe. Or maybe there could be a road you'd go down that you wouldn't want to have seen yourself go down in 20 years' time. Yeah, but if I'm 75, it's too late, isn't it? <laughs> Some, uh, someone said, hey, look, by the way, my favourite questions are the ones that stump people who are, you know, very good at teaching people things. So someone said to me, um, just make sure you're still enjoying what you're doing. And I thought that was a good answer. But it's yeah, OK not to answer. I, I would, no, I want to give you an answer. I, I would say um, that's helpful. I would say don't rest on your laurels. In, in the 5am club, I share a, a story that I think it's, it could be powerful to all your, 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 your viewers and your listeners. So in ancient Rome, there was a type of slave called an origa. And the job of this slave was to stand behind the military commander called the dux and to whisper the following words, memento homo, memento homo, memento homo, which is Latin for remember you're only a man. And that speaks to the fact that nothing fails like success. It speaks to the fact that as we grow in influence and impact and wisdom, we need to even more maintain a white belt mentality. And so I think my advice to my 70-year-old self would be, you know, make sure you keep learning. Make sure you keep getting up at 5 a.m. Make sure you don't, you know, fall in, lo in love with your winning formula. Make sure you, you never coast. Mm. And we've introduced something in the last maybe, what, 10 episodes. Now, you're going to have to forgive me in advance, or at least I'd ask your permission to do so, because we call it the cheeky round. So I'll put in a little box the questions I wouldn't normally dare ask. So um, I, I have studied you, followed you, as I have many great leaders, and I have this perception of you that nothing makes you angry. But I also know in my, my own personal pursuit, you, something must make you angry. So what makes you angry or what last time really pissed you off? You know, I, I, I think your perception is I'm far from perfect. I'm a work in progress, but not a lot of things make me angry. I don't know why, but I I think I'm a very I have I have many other flaws, but ang I'm not someone who gets angry. I I just somehow um, seem to be able to understand the other person's point of view, and uh, if someone exhibits bad behavior, uh, I, I just try to come from a place of understanding that. Everyone is doing the best they can do based on where they're at. And if they could do better, they would have done better. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself in, in the book. I talk about, and everyone's talking about, you, you talk about hustle and grind, Rob, but also everyone's talking about online, you know, everything's mindset. And in the 5M Club, I've, I've introduced what's turned out to be a very disruptive model, which is. I, I don't think everything's mindset. Mindset is our psychology. As human beings, we do have our psychology, but we also have, I believe, three other interior empires of heart set, health set, and soul set. And I know this is a quick round, but I just wanted to say mm. I've, done, I've done a lot of work not only on my mindset, but on my heart set, so that any anger I might have picked up along the journey of my life, I've tried to process through it via journaling and prayer and meditation and all the other methodologies I talk about in the book. Okay, thank you. Um, what's the most opulent material item you've ever bought? 
most opulent material item? Um, what a great question. I uh, I bought I bought a first edition of, um, of I think I forget the book, but it was a first edition, and it wasn't extremely expensive, but that was pretty opulent for me. Okay. Um, what's your net worth? I'm I'm not going to answer a personal question like that, <laughs> and that's why I put it in that little box. So yeah, fair I, enough. I, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So if you could have. If you could suggest to me one great guest, like Rob, I believe this, this person alive on the planet, you should interview, who would that be? Oh, what a great question. Um, I mean, I, I've met people who know Bono and they say he's just still so down to earth and yet he's always push, pushing the envelope as a musician. I mean, I think... You said one person alive on the planet. I think that would be great. Um, my friend Paulo Coelho, I think, mm. uh, I think you know he he would be a great interviewer. Uh, I, I like artists as well. I mean, mm. you know, there's lots of great art uh, artists out there that I think would be great interviews. Okay, thank you. And and um, Paolo gave you a recommendation, didn't he, for your book? Robin Sharma's books are helping people all over the world lead great lives, which is quite a big thing from Mr. Paolo Coelho, isn't it? Yeah, very generous. Mm. Um, okay, so this part, this is the final question. So I just want to say in advance, thank you very much, Robin. I'm still feeling mildly guilty about the net worth question, but I'm glad I challenged myself. I'm just saying. No, please don't. You know, I mean, I, I, I didn't take any offense to it whatsoever, and I'm I have to say, I'm really enjoying this conversation with you. So thank you. So don't, don't, don't worry at all. And thanks for being so honest. That's all right. Thank you. So um, this podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. You've actually mentioned disruptive a few times. So what does that word mean to you? Well, I think, I don't know how much time you have for it, but I, I, I relatively quickly, I'm a fan of Miles Davis. And Miles Davis, when he started out, followed the path of a lot of creative people and a lot of entrepreneurs. And, you know, he, he copied his heroes, you know, Duke Ellington and I think Dizzy Gillespie, and he wanted to model the, his, the, the masters. But once he got his rhythm down, he did something really interesting. He, 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 he took a right angle turn and he, he started trusting his own creative voice. And he started coming up with these marvelous but very disruptive ways uh, of playing. And to me, that's what being disruptive. I mean, I know your podcast is you know, the disruptive entrepreneur. And that's what disruptive is. It's seeing what everyone else is doing and maybe in the early stages of your craft, modeling your heroes. That's just natural. But then getting to a place where you get develop the confidence and the fearlessness to trust your own voice. And if you look at the great masters, whether it's in business or the arts or humanities or the sciences, these are all people who said, well, here's what everyone else is doing, but I don't think that's right or that's not quite right for me, or here's what I think the marketplace or my audience wants. And even if everyone is ridiculing you because they ridicule every great visionary before they revere them, you follow the instinct of your heart and you go into the blue ocean. And what that means, Rob, is sometimes you're gonna be revered and sometimes you're gonna be called a crazy person like Van Gogh was. But the real question becomes, do we follow our creative urges 
to please the crowd or do we follow our creative urges because that is the most authentic, honorable thing we can do to celebrate our primal genius. And I think if you can live your life in a way that even if no one understands you, you do what's right for you, then amazing things happen and you actually get to a place where you have great respect for yourself. Mm. Thank you. So if you could recommend one of your books, Robin, where maybe we should start, if let's assume someone's not well read on you, those three people on the planet left that haven't bought your books, um, which one should we start with? Well, I I would say by far and away the 5am club. I think what I tried to do with the 5am club is take 23 years of working with the best performers and the most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. And I I tried to distill down the methodologies and the models and the formulas and the processes and the tactics uh, into about 300 pages. And it's pretty much all in the 5am club. I tried to, you know, write this book. So it's a manifesto for mastery. And I, as I suggested, it's, you know, one of the best selling books in the world right now for a reason. It's creating genuine transformations for the people who are reading it. I wouldn't say that if it wasn't absolutely true. You can look at my Instagram feed and see what it's doing for people because I believe it's it's much more than a book on the morning routine of superstars. But I, I will say, if you can get that first hour of your day right in this age of dramatic distraction and run the 2020-20 formula that I teach in the book and then lock it in for 66 days until it reaches a place where habit researchers call automaticity, so it becomes easier to get up at 5 a.m. than not to get up at 5 a.m., then you're going to have what Mr. Riley, the character, the billionaire in the book, calls a gargantuan competitive advantage. And I got to tell you, I mean, for all your entrepreneur followers, this is a time of incredible opportunity. I believe, you know, I believe, you know, there's there's wars in the world right now, and I think there's economies that are on the verge of economic collapse, and you know, there's all this climate change devastation happening, and yet, for those who are prepared, it's going to be the time of greatest opportunity to impact the world. Uh, not only through your business, but through your humanity. And, um, you know, to get the results only 5% have, you've got to be willing to do what 95% of the population isn't willing to do. And if you do those things that very few do, you're going to get rewards that very few people are going to get. Thank you, Robin. So finally, where should we follow you? Um, You mentioned Instagram, but, you know, where would you like us to follow you most? Yeah, anyone can follow me on Instagram. Just uh, search Robin Sharma. Um, and uh, I think it's at Robin Sharma is the handle. I'm, um, if anyone wants to get the 5M Club, it's in bookstores around the world. It's also on Amazon. The audiobook, is people have told me, is, is really well read. Um, and anyone can get it on Audible. And uh, it's all the book is also available as an ebook. And I should say, at the end of the 5M Club is a 66 day free video based training program um, that'll help people install the routines I talk about in the book. And finally, a portion of my royalties are going to a cause that's really important to me, and it's helping um, reduce childhood leprosy in the world right now. This is another conversation, but a lot of people don't know that leprosy is still a big issue uh, in a lot of countries. And so I'm donating a portion of my royalties to the 5M Club to help children in need.
Robin, I've had a lot of fun. You were even better than I expected you to be. Thanks a lot for giving your time. Um, I know, obviously, you must be such in demand. I just want to say a big thank you from me. And on behalf of everyone who will listen to this, thank you. I want to thank you, Rob, uh, very much for such thoughtful questions. And I've really enjoyed our conversation as well. And congratulations on all your success. And keep doing the amazing work in the world that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you.